Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So Cuyahoga County sent out a press release yesterday warning people to pay their tax bills on time, even though nobody has received their tax bill. The county claims they're in the mail. Very strange press release. I've, I've been hearing from a lot of people about this. They're nervous about not getting their tax bills. Here's my piece of advice. Take a page from the county. If you send it in late, tell the county the check is in the mail. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin. Laura Johnston and Layla Tassi, let's get to the news. The nonprofit Summa Health, one of the best-known institutions in Summit County, has been bought by a for-profit company. Lisa, what does that mean for medical care? Well, that really depends on who you talk to, and studies are not uh, optimistic. But Summa Health of Akron signed a non-binding letter of intent to be acquired by Health Assurance Transformation Corp., or HATCO. That's a new business venture of General Catalyst, which is a private equity firm that just popped up just a few months ago. Uh, No price has been disclosed on this sale. It follows the announcement last fall of HATCO's intent to buy a healthcare system to use as a testing ground for AI and other technology sold by its portfolio companies. So SUMA will be the only private equity-owned hospital in Northeast Ohio. It's one of about 386 total in the U.S., and that's about 9% of total hospitals and 30% of for-profit hospitals are owned by private equity firms. J.B. Silver, which who's a health finance professor at Case Western Reserve University, says equity-owned private equity-owned hospitals have a spotty track record. They're often looking for short-term profits to appease their investors. But on the other hand, they can bring money and faster technological advances to healthcare systems, and it sponsors a culture of innovation. I was surprised that the number of people, including the new mayor, coming out to talk about this like it's good news. Let's face it, venture capitalists are not good news. When you're running not-for-profit, you're serving the community. Yes, the Cleveland Clinic racks up huge amounts of money. They have gigantic nest egg of cash that they've collected. But there, there's no corporate person getting rich on this. There's no investor you answer to. With venture capitalists, they want their payback. I'm biased on this because I've watched venture capitalists destroy much of the news media. They keep buying up news, old newspapers, newsrooms, and trashing them to soak them for money. I cannot in any way see how this is a good thing for the people of Summit County. If when you have a nonprofit agency serving the community as it has for decades, it's a public service. When you have people trying to soak the cash out of it, I can't see how medical care won't suffer. Anybody disagree? Laura, you grew up down there. How, what do you think? I think that it's going to be really interesting to see what happens if you're going to have a whole health system that's focused on transforming the health system. I mean, it feels like it's an experiment. Like, does anyone else read that and think they're experimenting on the patient? But they're transforming it 
to build a profit. They're, the the changes they're right. making are to soak the system for money. Lisa, well, you, but that too, and then to translate that to other systems, right? Like they want this to be their guinea pig. Yeah, so they can go out and buy others. Right. Lisa, you spent years and years in a medical system. How, how do you think this plays out? I think that it's going to be profits over patients. Um, I think that, and there was a study done last year by Harvard Medical School and the University of Chicago. They studied 600,000 hospitalizations at 51 private equity-owned hospitals and then 4 million patients at 259 control hospitals for the study. They found uh, over a 25% increase in hospital-acquired conditions at private equity hospitals, including falls and infections from from central IV lines and so forth. And other critics are worried that this will lead to higher patient bills, smaller staffs, and fewer services for vulnerable patients. We, we, we should get in touch with some insurance companies like Medical Mutual and see what they think. My bet is they're nervous about this because, like you just said, Lisa, the bills are going to go up and the insurance companies are the ones that pay it. I, again, I was surprised. You know, the hospital people are all saying this is a great day and the mayor is, puts out a press release. He's down in Washington for the conference of mayors where every mayor runs to after they get elected, puts out a press release saying, oh, it's great. It's great. It's like, this isn't great. Let's be, let's be frank. This is scary for the people of Summit County. And you got to think the people at UH and the Cleveland Clinic are wondering whether they should invest more deeply down there to fill the gap that might start to exist. Major story that broke yesterday. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Our columnist Brent Larkin has laid out a convincing case for overturning the selection of Congressman Bill Johnson as Youngstown State University president. Part of Brent's spiel has been Mike DeWine, please step in. Layla, will Mike DeWine heed Brent's call? DeWine says no. No, he won't. He he lacks the authority to overrule the trustee's decision. And frankly, he said he, he doesn't want to. He told our editorial board last week that choosing the president of the school is the most important decision that the board has to make. And he's not inclined to interfere with that, even if he could. Johnson is a seven-term congressman from Marietta. He'll resign from Congress on January 21st to succeed Jim Trussell, who stepped down last February at Youngstown. But Johnson's selection is very controversial. Youngstown State faculty, alumni, and donors, they're all very upset about this for a number of reasons. His lack of experience in higher ed, his partisanship in Congress, just to name a couple. The school's academic senate passed a resolution of no confidence in Johnson that also cited his questionable integrity given his denial of basic facts, the outcome of the 2020 election, and climate science. They're really concerned that his presidency will make it really difficult to recruit students and faculty. Even actor Ed O'Neill, who graduated from, from Youngstown, got involved in this debate. He said he's returning his YSU degree and ending all donations to the school. He asked that his name be removed from anything related to the university. And a former YSU president asked DeWine to can the trustees over this decision and, and if he can, rescind the decision to hire Johnson. But like I said, DeWine said he can't and he won't. And he kind of poo-pooed the argument that Johnson doesn't have higher ed experience because neither did Jim Trussell. Yeah, I mean, DeWine says clearly the law doesn't allow him to do it, right. and he does not really have a role in these things. I am surprised, though, that he's so four square behind him. I He made a comparison to Jim Trestle. He said when they hired Jim Trestle, the faculty was against it, and people think he was good. I, I didn't go back to look, but I could swear that Jim Trestle 
had an educational background early in his career before he became Mm -hmm. the football coach, that there was at least some bona fide that they argued at the time when he was chosen. Johnson doesn't. And Trestle is not a climate denier. I mean, to have a university president who just says ridiculous things, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. embarrassing. Yes, it is. And clearly their alumni is going to walk away. They're not going to continue to support a school where you have somebody that's there for political reasons instead of educational reasons. Right, right. It's surprising that the trustees would be so in opposition to the feelings of the of the uh, the faculty. How do, how does that ha- end up happening? Is it because of of the way the trustees are appointed that they end up being these kind of far- well, governors appoint them. I mean, yeah, so they're very fringe in their politics. Yeah. And that's what's been happening in Ohio over the last 10 years is a bunch of lunatics have gotten into positions of power because the gerrymandered legislature and the far right leaning of the government, even though it's not the leaning of the electorate, has changed the whole dynamic. So you got trustees that aren't aren't thinking straight. Look, we've seen similar things happening in NOACA. We have people that are on our big regional planning agency Mm -hmm. that deny climate change. I mean, come on. It's just, we're going to run away from science and and play games. This is bad for the Youngstown region. It's taken some serious blows. They don't really have media to cover them out there. They got some things that pretend to be. Um, And so this this is ugly. I wish DeWine would have said, at least that he's troubled by it. Instead, it was full bore support. He likes them, thinks it's a good thing, and he's not going to touch it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This state has one of the more confusing property tax systems of all the states where I've lived. First, they call taxes levies, which no one else really does. And Ohio has all kinds of levies. Why are some lawmakers trying to get rid of the tax that we call a replacement levy, Laura? Because it's confusing. Because when you replace a levy, you're replacing it with a tax that costs more. And that's maybe not ultimately clear to the voter. And some voters could be tricked into approving this tax increase. So there are three or four kinds of what you could do with a levy when it it runs its course. They They could leave it there and residents' tax bills decrease. That's because there's this thing called House Bill 920 in Ohio that as property values increase, the millage, which is the amount of money uh, you're taxed, like it's your tax rate, decreases so that the the government body is collecting the same amount of money. There's a renewal levy, which keeps the ongoing tax at the same millage. It costs the same amount, or they can propose an ongoing replacement levy. That extends the tax at the same millage, but resets the accounting. So that means that millage stays the same. So you pay more because your property is worth more. You can also do a renewal with an increase in millage. If you're asking for more money, that is very obviously a tax increase. So this gets rid of the replacement option for schools, libraries, park systems, and it's actually not used as much as you'd think, but the idea is it's confusing and they want to make sure that voters understand. They're right. They're absolutely right. Our, the tax system in the state is intended to confuse people. And that's why all the districts and cities were complaining about this, because they're going to lose their ability to use subterfuge. This is in line with the move to abolish special August elections, unless yes. you're trying to, you know 
<laughs> jury rigged the abortion amendment um, because nobody votes in them. And, and cities and school districts, after they're denied tax increases, would try to slip them past in August, which is wrong. And that we need to be as transparent as possible with the voters about what they're voting on. I completely salute this effort because our taxes are so confusing. Right. Just the system. You know, we started talking about inside millage and voted on millage. And and whenever you get your tax bill and every year it seems to go up, you're just like, it's confusing because there's so many entities that are taxing you. But you do, as a voter, have the right to vote on whether you want to be paying more or not. Of the 979 school levies that were extended in the past decade, only 40 of them were replacement levies. So this is not a huge part of the what they use for taxes, but I, I agree. I mean, if you if you're not doing the research, if you're just like replacement sounds like renewal, I I can understand that. And let's stop calling them levies. Start calling them taxes because that's what well, it that is. was a rule for a long time at the Plain Dealer. You couldn't use the word levy in a story. Uh, I I totally remember being told that. We seem to have relaxed it because that's what colloquially people call them. You know, you'd say, "Are you voting for the the school levy?" They don't say, "Are you voting for the school tax?" But it's a tax, and it is a tax. It's it's clear as can be. It's a tax, and you're right. The inside millage, the outside millage. We're having a big argument about that this week because yes. we're going through a major reassessment in Cuyahoga County, and if it goes like it went in Jogger County, where the values went up by an average of twenty nine percent. That small part of the tax bill that's the inside millage, it's not governed by the limits and it will go up. And so the government leaders in Jogger County are frantic because the bills are going up out of their control and some are rolling back rates. We're going to have that happen in Cuyahoga County. And we have a story coming about how house prices have gone up. And it's not just how much your house goes up, right? It's how much or little your neighbor's house, or if it's a countywide tax, the city across the county, because it's all one piece of the pie. You know, it's, it's all one pie and how it gets divided changes every year. When I got to Ohio, I pretty quickly deduced that our system of voting for taxes is intentionally confusing because they don't want the voters to realize what's happening. And this would at least remove some of that confusion Good for the legislature. They're not doing much, but this and would be a step yay, in the Repu- right direction. It's a Republican. I know. We are, we are saluting this Republican representative. I, clear up confusion. Way to go. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Have the people trying to get a voting rights amendment on the Ohio ballot come to their senses and remove the push to let people register and vote the same day and the plan to get rid of photo ID requirements? Lisa? They have not given up. They have actually resubmitted their paperwork for a spot in the November ballot to the attorney general's office. They did remove the title that Attorney General Dave Yost objected to. It was called Secure and Fair Elections, but Yost, when he rejected their first round of paperwork, said that didn't accurately reflect what this constitutional amendment would do. So now it's called the Ohio Voters' Bill of Rights. And to recap, um, this is calling for automatic voter registration unless somebody opts out, and it gets updated at every visit to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. Voter registration and voting on the same day. It would allow counties to expand early voting hours at their discretion and add multiple ballot drop boxes if need be. And as you said, it rescinds the new photo ID law and instead will, it would allow people 
in person to sign an affidavit verifying their identity. So Yoast has until the 25th this month to approve or deny the new petition language. And then if he does approve it, they will have to gather at least 413,000 valid signatures by July 3rd. I, I, I'm so disappointed that they are going in this direction because this has all sorts of ramifications for the state. We have an amendment that's headed to the ballot to fix gerrymandering, to get the politicians out of it and put it in the hands of an independent commission. Seriously good government move that we need. And there are Republican leaders like Frank LaRose that are trying to kill it because they want to keep gerrymandering. This new one, if it's on the ballot, will allow those trying to stop gerrymandering to package it together and say this is all about fraud. I, our editorial board talked about this. We'll end up, I'm pretty sure, coming out very hard against this voting rights amendment because it will allow for the possibility of fraud. And why shouldn't people be required to use a photo ID? They should have changed it because th this is vulnerable and it makes gerrymandering vulnerable. We're going to have to start a campaign that's yes on one, no on two, because this is bad news and Ohio won't go for it. And if it ends up on the ballot, it's going to be a crowded ballot this November. I mean, already two movements are already out collecting signatures because they've been approved. That's for the $15 minimum wage. And as you said, the redistricting reform. And then the Republicans on in the General Assembly want to enshrine hunting and fishing rights in the Constitution. So, I mean, yeah. And, you know, we've talked about the photo ID laws. A lot of people think that's an onerous burden. I've never thought that. You know, so I, I don't understand. I don't think yeah. it's a lot of people. I think it's a tiny percentage of people. I think most Ohioans think, what's the big deal about a photo ID? Look, if if you believe in good government, you're asked to sign this petition. Think twice about it, because this is going to be a problem in November for correcting what has long ailed the state. This is a foolish move by these folks. They should have fixed it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why is the Cleveland Museum of Art shrouded three display cases containing Native American artifacts and art, Layla? Very fascinating story, I think. Uh, so on January 12th, these new federal regulations went into effect that stem from an update of the 1990 Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. And under these regulations, museums are required to get consent from lineal descendants, tribes, or Native Hawaiian organizations before they can exhibit these cultural items or human remains. And the items that are covered by this regulation include funerary objects, sacred objects, and objects of cultural patrimony. There are civil penalties for failure to comply with this, so it's it's really important. So the Cleveland Museum of Art, while it's seeking the consent of certain tribes, has then put up these barriers that conceal these three display cases from public view. There's a sign there explaining that to museum vi visitors. And Steve Litt tells us that inside these cases are 20 objects from southwestern, northwestern plains and eastern woodland tribes. They're items like carved wooden bowls, a war club, daggers with elaborate hilts, masks, things like that. And only about half of them really fall under these regulations. But to play it safe and to avoid combing through these delicate objects in the display case and pulling out some of them and then leaving the case half empty, the, the museum decided to just cover the whole thing and the, until they could obtain the consent that they need to display the ones in question. But here's perhaps the most interesting part of this story, and, and it was really the focus of a lot of newsroom discussion yesterday. The public can still see photos of these sacred objects in the museum's digital archives. 
the museum's logic here is that, well, you know, the law only addresses the physical display of the artifacts, not the digital display. And none of their peer museums are removing them from their digital archives. So they are going to maintain them as well. But we wondered, how is it that the museum can claim to be concealing the displays out of respect for the tribes, which is what they say, while simultaneously keeping them available on digital display? Yeah, I know. It's just hypocrisy is what it is. I was annoyed by their quote, you know, out of respect for Native Americans. They're doing it because Congress changed the law. And because the Congress didn't think of the digital display to include that, they're not taking it down. If you respect the Native Americans and and you say they do, you would do both. They didn't even think of it till we asked about them. And then they were like, well, you know, we don't have to. And so this isn't respect for the Native Americans. This is doing what Congress is making you do. And if you really did have that respect, you take them down until until this is resolved. Really, it makes no sense to me. They don't get any points for the respect. They get points for following the law. And it would be such a, a simple step to take that, you know, that extra step. It's 10 items, perhaps. Just take them out of the digital collection temporarily. Yeah. You know, they, they've said that, I think their comment was something about how if it turns out that they have to permanently remove some objects from physical display, they will also take the step of removing them from the digital display. But Come on, yeah, <laughs> just, do, just do the right thing. It's so simple. It's this like isn't a about of a doing mouse. the right thing. This is doing what the law requires yeah. you to do. And they were even late on that. The law went into effect on the twelfth. They didn't cover this up till this week, right? Well, I think I think they they covered them with like a sheet or something like that. But just this week, they put up these more um, permanent looking um, wood boxes. panels or something yeah. like that around them. So, okay, you're listening to today in Ohio. Ice has not been much of a problem in the Great Lakes this year, at least until this week, maybe. And maybe climate change has permanently changed the situation. So, Laura, why does a federal report say the Coast Guard needs a whopping $3 billion for breaking Great Lakes ice? Do they not believe in climate change? <laughs> well, the ice has been decreasing over time, so it might not be as big of a deal in the future, but they need new icebreakers if they're going to keep doing this work. And the icebreakers are special kinds of ships. They establish and maintain open pathways in critical waterways. So they're not breaking up ice across the lake, but just and, and it's not obviously just Lake Erie. Lake Erie can freeze the fastest because it's the smallest. But when you go further up north, it's a lot bigger issue. They they help at vessels that are stuck in the ice. They remove icy hazards. And right now, the Coast Guard has 33 of them. There are some in the Atlantic Ocean um, on the East Coast, but they stick to these geographically important waterways. And they say they need $3 billion because they need two heavy, 11 medium, and seven light icebreakers. Do not tell me, ask me to explain what the difference between those boats are. But they are going to have to replace all of those. Okay. I just, there hasn't been ice this year until I think this week, but. Yeah, when I was, when I was running yesterday, I could hear the waves crashing and I was like, oh, well, we're not at that point yet. But maybe, maybe give it a little bit of time. And when it's that cold, it freezes pretty fast. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's keep talking about the weather. We love talking about the weather. We've had multiple days in single digits. Lisa, before this week, when was the last time we had single digits? And when was the last time we had a stretch of days in the single digits like we had this week? 
Yeah, on Sunday, the low in the early in the morning was five degrees. That was the first day since January, I'm sorry, December 26th of 2022 when it was nine degrees. And Wednesday morning was the fourth straight day of single digit temperatures in Cleveland. Uh, Monday, it was three degrees. Tuesday, it was seven degrees. Wednesday, it was four degrees just before dawn, just as, as measured at Hopkins Airport. And um, the last time we had a stretch like that was, um, I know I have it wrong. Oh, February 7th to 10th in 2021, where the temperatures were eight, nine, eight, and six, four in a row. Now, our average January temperature through Tuesday of this week has been 30.3 degrees. That's just less than 1% above normal or one degree above normal. The average December temperature just last month was 42 degrees. That's 7.7 degrees above normal. We got to get El Nino to get it in gear and come on back because this is just well, too cold. <laughs> can I can I add in something here that people will say, look, climate change isn't real. It's really cold. But the reason we get all this polar vortex coming down from the Arctic is because of climate change, because we've weakened the the way that it stays up there. So jet stream, yeah, jet stream. Thank you. Like so this is just indicative of I, I like to call it global weirding. Right. Like it's the weird weather that you're experiencing i know but we know that by the end of the winter we're going to be above average because of el nino yes. let's get let's get back right. into that let's let's okay we've had our cold no. only, only after boston no. mills has opened all of its hills because it has not yet because it was not cold enough so they've been blowing snow like crazy and once it's covered and we have enough to last me through the middle of march then it can go away. And we actually have a story that looks at climate mm -hmm. change through the prism of skiing. And it was not my idea. This weekend, right. It was my idea. I take credit for it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, I'm beyond confused by this next story, and I don't believe we're going to clear up that confusion because it is confusing. For Guardians and Cavs fans, what does Amazon Prime Video's new role in local sports broadcasts mean for where the fans can watch their games, Layla. All right, Chris, I'm going to talk about this and then I'm going to hand it back to you <laughs> to, to fact check everything I said and fill in the blanks. But so basically, Diamond Sports Group, the owner of Bally Sports Ohio and Bally Sports Great Lakes, filed for bankruptcy last March. And yesterday they announced the terms of a restructuring support agreement that's intended to kind of pull them out of it. This deal includes a minority investment from Amazon that will enable Diamond to survive beyond 2024, and that will hopefully be good news for fans who have hated using the Bally Sports Plus app that's been so troublesome because Prime Video, which is obviously a much more stable platform, will become Diamond's primary partner for direct-to-consumer streaming access for teams that it currently holds those rights to. How much that will cost cons consumers really has yet to be determined. But that said, the deal does not include watching Guardians games on Prime Video because Diamond Sports owns the broadcast rights for the team through 2027, but it doesn't own the direct-to-consumer digital rights. That's why Bally Sports Plus launched last year without local MLB games. So it has yet to be seen whether Diamond will eventually sell its streaming rights to Amazon. We're still waiting to see what happens at this February 1st hearing. The Guardians are negotiating with Diamond over the value of their existing contract. Diamond wants the team to take a pay cut if it doesn't reach a deal. Diamond could terminate their contract as it did last year with the Diamondbacks and the Padres. So, Chris, 
What did I miss? What did I get no, wrong? I, I, I think that's the key, the key issue. They want the Guardians to take less money. The Guardians, a small market team, can't take less money. Mm-hmm. They haven't, as Paul Hoynes pointed out, they haven't been making a lot of deals because they don't know what their revenue is going to be because of this. And they can't go find a new partner because they're under contract. So I suspect if the Guardians hold firm, they will be cut loose. And then they'll go find a new partner and sign a new deal. And depending on how much they can get for it, will determine what they have to spend on the players. So the answer for people right now is hold on Mm. because this is not over yet. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Clevelanders is digital dinosaurs? I don't think so. We have proof that Clevelanders have gone digital in a big way. Laura, where do our libraries rank in the world of digital book downloads? We are at the top. And the reason we know this is Overdrive, which is a Garfield Heights company that runs the digital collection for tens of thousands of libraries and schools across the world. Uh, Sean McDonald had a great story over the holidays about the company, which I think we should be trumpeting as much as, you know, Progressive or Sherwin-Williams. It's a really cool local company. But they look at the libraries with the most digital downloads, both the written books and audio, and both the Cuyahoga County Public System and the Clevenet System, which is headed by Cleveland itself but has a lot of uh, suburban Northeast Ohio libraries in it. They rank near the top worldwide. both over, there were 152 library systems across seven countries that surpassed a million digital downloads. And the Clevenet had 5 million, that puts them in the top 20 overall. And Cuyahoga, I believe, was 3 million. So big time numbers. And I have to say, I am definitely contributing to these downloads because ever since the pandemic, I read almost everything on, an, on my um, iPad. Look, we know how digitally astute Clevelanders are because we know how many of them read us. We have millions and millions of people reading our site. I think 70% or so of our print readers engage with the digital version of the print edition. Uh, So this really isn't a surprise, although I do think Cleveland gets a reputation for being a bit of a dinosaur area, and it's not. I mean, this is proof that people are embracing digital content in a huge, huge way, which is one of the reasons why Cleveland needs to get hardwired for broadband. Yeah. And city council has invested so much money in doing that uh, because these numbers will just go up if people get better access. As a side note, do you guys remember when we did that story last year uh, about how expensive those licenses are for for digital copies of books? That was really surprising to me. That it could be like a couple hundred bucks for a library to obtain one of the, the licenses to, to loan out a digital copy of a book. And it's only good for so many. It's like a finite number of, of, of loans. So I always that had made me much more conscientious about making sure I'm ready to read that book when I download it from the library because I don't want to waste that. That's a resource that we're all paying for. Well, and that's, that's a, a backwards point. thing, too, because if they buy the hardback, they can lend it out as many times as they want, and they pay, they pay going price for it. So this has been kind of a, a scam that's been perpetrated on libraries. I don't get how you can charge that much more for the digital copy with limited lending on a hardback copy. You can do as much as you want. Yeah. Uh, can I just tell you some of the, the most borrowed titles? Because Colleen Hoover for Verity was up at the top of their fiction, romance, and mystery and thriller categories, which, so Colleen Hoover, good for you. And Spare by Prince Harry, the Duke of Sussex, was the number one uh, nonfiction book. 
Have you read them? <laughs> I have not. I have read one Colleen Hoover book. I haven't read Verity. I did read Spare. And, um, you know, I was just reading going, I don't know that this family will ever reconcile. It's very sad. Okay. That's it for the Thursday episode of Today in Ohio. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thank you for listening. Come back Friday. We'll wrap up the week of news. Music.